Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 32nd episode, and you thought the Carl Wendlinger episode was obscure. Well, guys, this is the Domenicano Schitarella episode, and I'm here after a fantastic United States Grand Prix. Yes, I had to look deep into the F1 archives to find Domenico Schitarella. Um, but yeah, he is the last person to have 32 on his car back in 1994 when he drove the Simtech. Uh, they folded the next year, by the way. Anyway, we have lots to unpack in this race, the United States Grand Prix this is. And then we still have to preview the Checo Grand Prix, I mean the Mexican Grand Prix as well. So let's get straight into this review. It's lights out and away we go. We had quite a few storylines going into this weekend. Not a whole lot to share on the cost cap front. Uh, just that it appears Red Bull overspent by $1.8 million or so. And it came down to catering costs, sick pay, and some R&D budget um, to do with unused parts. Um, and the team is currently negotiating with the FIA what their punishment will be. I learned that if they come to an agreement, it will surely be a fine that doesn't affect the cost cap. Um, and a loss of wind tunnel time. Uh, points can't be deducted if they come to an agreement. So those hoping for a Lewis Hamilton 8th world title from this uh, controversy will not be uh, very happy. I honestly think if it's just a loss of wind tunnel time, they're getting off a bit easy. However, wind tunnel time is pretty crucial, and I don't even think Red Bull's prepared to give a whole lot of that up, especially if they win the constructors. They already get less wind tunnel time than everyone else. Um, yeah, I, I've I've made my thoughts pretty clear on this topic, what I think the penalty should be. I think it should be a cost cap fine and a loss of wind tunnel time, which is a pretty serious fine. Um, however, not take away any past championships. I think that would be a little harsh. So we'll see. Red Bull might um, actually want to fight this. And if they do and they don't come to an agreement, then larger punishments can actually come from it. So it's a bit of a gamble. I don't think Red Bull would want to risk any sort of points deductions or even cost cap fines. So I feel like they'll be able to come to an agreement and it will just be a loss of wind tunnel time. I just hope the FAA don't um, back down to Red Bull. Um, and you know, they stand their ground and give them a proper fine because look guys, I know I'm a Mercedes fan and this sounds rich coming from me wanting to see Red Bull get penalized. However, this is a precedent. No matter what team this was, it, it has to be a penalty. It has to be a serious one or else the future of the cost cap is at risk. That's, that's really, that's really all it comes down to. This is the first penalty we're ever given to a actual serious breach of the cost cap and if we're not giving serious penalties in return then the cost cap just won't be treated as a serious regulation anyway enough about that um another big moment of the weekend was fp1 i was really looking forward to this session definitely the most um anticipated fp1 session in my opinion we had many stand-ins uh, before we mention the young drivers and the reason i use the word stand-ins is because we had antonio giovanazzi he is not at all a young driver. It's a bit peculiar why Haas is even putting him in their car in the first place. Uh, but guys, uh, if you didn't watch, he he took a massive L. Um, he has been considered in the running for that second Haas seat to replace Mick Schumacher. What is the number one problem that Gunther has with Mick Schumacher? Not actually anything to do with his pace. It's to do with crashing the car. 
Haas is one of the poorest teams on the grid. Mick Schumacher's talent has not exceeded Magnussen so much that he is allowed to crash the car as often as he does. And what does Giovinazzi go out and do on his, like, fifth lap it was? He crashes the car. He was able to recover it, but he obviously damaged it still, and he was out for the session. So he may have just blew his chance to return to the grid in five laps at the U.S. Grand Prix. I kind of feel bad for him because every, everyone that I've heard talk about Gio is he's actually a really nice guy, and he's he's got talent. It's just not superstar talent. Um, but obviously there was some pressure on him there and he crumbled a bit. Maybe there, 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 it was a pretty windy weekend. I know a lot of drivers were struggling with gusts of wind. We will certainly talk about another driver, um, in that respect very soon. Um, but moving on to, uh, the young drivers, I wouldn't say any single young driver really stood out. Um, to me, I think the one that stood out the most is actually Alex Palau, uh, Schwartzman looked to be on a, a pretty good lap at the end. Um, however, he was he was blocked. He would have smashed the other rookies. However, he's also in the Ferrari, so he, he's in a way better car than everyone else. And and Palau is a guy that's really never even driven a Formula One car. I think he has in like a in a tire test or or something like that. Um, but yeah, this was his first time in like a real session. And even though he's in a McLaren, which is still pretty far off the Ferrari. Um, I wouldn't expect even them in the same machinery for Palau to be on Schwartzman's level. However, um, I, w- I would say that Palau, just not even really based on the leaderboards, because it's FB1, I've, I've mentioned this a lot of the times in the past too, practice sessions, you can't really get the full picture. Um, so you can't just go off the leaderboards, although I know a lot of people will. Um, it just looked like he's having a great time out there. And the biggest thing that I was able to take away is he looked like he had full confidence. I watched that session pretty, I don't think I've ever analyzed a practice session as much as I have that just looking out for the young drivers and who's kind of impressing me. Um, a lot of them took time to warm up and I know, um, the broadcast team was saying this is probably one of the toughest tracks for someone to just hop in a formula one car and, you know, get the full potential out of it because it is a tricky track. I mean, I don't want to sound like I have any experience, but even just driving it on the Formula One game, this is not an easy track to get a handle of. It is one of my favorites because once you do, that first sector is so satisfying. The third sector is just awesome. And I even love like the long straight and the sector the section that you get into after that. I, I honestly love this track, but yes, it is very difficult and I couldn't imagine what these guys were going through. Um but yeah, I would say he he impressed me the most. But let's talk about Logan Sargent. That's probably the most high-profile young driver that was in these tests. Um, and guys, he is going to be the 2023 Williams driver on a contingency that he gets his super license. He only needs to finish P6 in F2. He is currently P3. However, it is very tight from like P2 to P7 or something like that. So... Just one little reliability issue, and he could tumble down the championship, which would be so unfortunate. But as long as he gets those points, he will be in the Williams next year. Awesome to see him out there. American driver at the American track getting announced as the first American driver since, I believe, um, Alex Rossi. If it's not, it's Scott Speed. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it's Alex Rossi. Um, But it's been a long time, and I'm couldn't be happier for the guy. Uh, he definitely looked like he was relishing in the moment of this weekend. 
So, yeah, but unfortunately, the weekend did take a bit of a darker turn when we got the unfortunate news of the death of Red Bull founder Dietrich Mateschitz. Um, The man was absolutely massively influential uh, in motorsport and F1. Um, And, of course, this happens on the weekend that Red Bull could become Constructors' champs. seemed like it was just set up for a magical race for Red Bull. Um, Going into Saturday, though, it looked like it was uh, going to be a straight fight for pole between Sainz and Verstappen because engine penalties were coming for Leclerc and Perez, and and the Mercedes didn't really seem like they were quite in the fight, although with their new upgrade, slightly improved. Um, In Q1, my bold prediction, Daniel Ricciardo out already just like that um, with the Ricky Bobby helmet. Um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo still had all those same uh, Austin vibes that he always brings. And I really thought that that was going to help him this weekend because I really do think the mental part of our, of his ability, if you will, is a huge part of how he's able to extract performance. But he had a rough weekend let me just tell you that but also Esteban Ocon weird weekend from him too he's out in Q1 I think he's had that once this year as well where he's just randomly out in Q1 and the Alpine is just way too good to be out in Q1 so that was strange Um, they joined both of the drivers of the American unit unfortunately Haas was not able to make much of a impression in qualifying whatsoever and of course Nicholas Latifi found his favorite spot in P20 um but yeah, in Q1, Signs was also showing very early that he's a legit, legit threat for pole. We will see if that comes to fruition in a sec. In Q2, we lost the Alpha Tires. We get more complaints from Pierre Gasly, who seems to have just no issue trashing the team that he's currently with and in in their car now that he's got one foot out the door on his way to Alpine. A lot of complaints and kind of um, fiery team radios, if you will. Uh, but... Albon also was oh so close to another Q3 appearance. Great, great quality from him. Um, shame, I think he was P11. Um, he would have been P12, though, had it not been for Joe, uh, who actually would have been the Alfa Romeo to, uh, sorry, who would have been the one to represent Alfa Romeo in Q3 um, had he not had his lap time deleted. Um, but fortunately for the Swiss team, Bottas was the one actually promoted into the top 10. So they still got one driver in there regardless. But tough one for Joe. And unfortunately, Vettel was the other driver eliminated in Q2. Um, and in Q3, Leclerc, uh, I think he went fastest in Q2. Um, and he looked like he was in the mix to go for fastest. But like I said, at best, that only put him 11th with his engine penalty. Um, and in a rather straightforward session, guys, it was Carlos Sainz who got pole on merit. He he did not finish behind Leclerc and was awarded pole. He was fastest, and he was followed by Leclerc, so it would have been a front-row lockout for Ferrari. However, Max would be promoted to the front row with his P3 finish ahead of Perez, the Hamilton, and Russell show. I don't know why I'm saying that. The, the Mercedes team was 5-6. and six. Um and then, guys, I think the standard of the session, even more so than Carlos Sainz, was Lance Stroll. Guys, he seems to have finally exercised his qualifying demons in P7, best of the rest, ahead of guys like Norris, Alonso, Bottas, and I forget who was P9. I'm sorry. Or no. No, that is the threes in P7. Wow, good math, Brad. Uh, <laughs> 
the mystery man. That's that's who I forget. Um, and anyway, we move forward to Sunday, lap one. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. There's a lot to go over in this race, and guys, I, I'm not gonna go over it all, uh, especially with a preview coming up and some other things we have to talk about. But I will kind of hit the key points here, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts of some of those things that happened. So lap one, Max gets the better start of Carlos. He takes the lead into turn one, and we see Carlos kind of noticing that Max is going to take the position, and instead of trying to fight him along the outside, uh, he cuts back and tries to get the better run down um, down the hill. And George Russell was also anticipating that he would fight around the outside, so he went kind of deep into the corner on the inside, potentially trying to grab the position from Lewis. However, with Carlos cutting back down the inside, George goes straight into the side of him and knocks Signs out of the race just like that. Signs gets sent spinning and is forced to retire um, with some sort of radiator leak, I think is what they said. Um, regardless, he was not able to continue, and George Russell was slapped with a five-second penalty. And I've heard a lot of debate about this. I think everyone agrees that he gets penalized, um, except for maybe like Total Wolf. I think he said it was a racing incident. Shocking. Um, even George Russell after the race, um, held his hands up and said, you know, that was my fault. And he apologized to Carlos. But yeah, I've, I've seen some debate about this and it seems like some people think that he got off easy. And then some people think that five seconds was exactly correct. And I think I've got to be on that side, guys. Lap one is, it's very difficult unless someone is doing something extremely dangerous to give more than five seconds for. Um, that's just how I see it. Lap one, things are bound to happen. I think Russell's explanation of it is also a huge reason for why I think it's okay with five seconds, because that makes a lot of sense. I think if you're anticipating him going out the outside, yes, you can't assume what someone's going to do, but that would have been a completely normal occurrence for even sirens to get pushed off on the outside. It happens all the time at Coda turn one. And it was just kind of an unfortunate series of events. However, Russell is predominantly to blame for sure. So I think the stewards actually got that one completely right. And they acted pretty quickly. So I was very happy with that one. Um, But of course, with signs out of the race, Russell five-second penalty, Perez and Leclerc are far back. Who else but Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton leading the race. And at this point, Lance Stroll was in P3. Um, that was also amazing. I mean, Russell had to get out of the way, of course, but that was crazy. Max was cruising ahead. Lewis was doing kind of a surprisingly good job to um, kind of stay close, but not really close enough. Gap got to five, six seconds, um, and eventually um, that gap gets closed right up because Bottas brings out the safety car. And I just wanted to quickly kind of give my thoughts on this one as well. What a shame. I'm I'm not entirely convinced that it would have been a huge point scoring um, affair for Alfa Romeo regardless. However, I think he was definitely on for a P9, P10 kind of race. And oh, the race that Alfa Romeo finally has some pace. They did bring an upgrade. But man, oh, that just, that stung. Because Bottas is actually the one who's on an even longer scoring drought than even Joe. Joe grabbed the one point and I think it was hungry. I might I might be wrong. It might have been some it might have been Monza. I don't even remember. Um but it's it's been a while. 
and uh, just to see him drop it. And it was a driver error. However, it was um, it came out after the race. There was a pretty strong gust of wind just as he was taking that corner. And I, honestly, when I saw him tumble down the order, I was like, that's a retirement. It just is. There's no way he just spun. And I thought it was going to be another reliability error for Alpha, which would have been very hard to take as well. But I almost feel like it stings more. Um, with all the reliability issues they've had with their car falling off in terms of pace to finally be back in that hunt and then your driver makes a mistake it's just like nothing can go right um and they've really had they've scored in one race and it was one point since round nine and we have three races to go in this championship that is insane the fact that they are even in p6 williams has scored more since Canada just take that in and this team has like 50 or something I think it's 60 50 or 60 points maybe 56 um and to not score to have be outscored by Williams since round nine is just silly um so yeah Bontas must have been just absolutely kicking himself for that mistake and ah, oh, just how I couldn't imagine how painful that would have been for the Alfa Romeo gar- garage to see their veteran driver too. It wasn't like it was their rookie; it was their veteran. And yeah, just more unluckiness for Bottas. However, I do think they have a good chance at scoring some points in the future. Um, in the future, as in these next three races. However, I think Aston Martin is just better positioned at this point. And I will also talk about that in a moment. Max retains the lead when the safety car um, pulls into the pits and we restart the race. However, just as soon as we get to the next, uh, the back straight, um, we get a huge incident between Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso. Uh, I really thought both of them were definitely out of the race, and that is definitely a red flag. It looked massive at the time. Alonso looked like he was going to fly over the catch fencing. He was airborne. And Stroll was hit hard and bounced off and uh, back onto the track, which is always one of the most dangerous things you can see. Luckily, nobody went into Stroll. Um, whoever was behind him, hats off to them. And also Alonso, for he was really lucky to not um, kind of run into one of those Marshall posts where the track opens up a little bit. That would have been a lot more dangerous. He just missed that and was somehow, the most wild part about it, able to continue he actually made it to the pits and got all his repairs um and he drove just a brilliant race i'm just gonna talk about alonso alone here well actually before i actually i i will do that i guess i should give my thoughts on the incident stroll looked like he was about to get overtaken by alonso on that long straight and when alonso went to uh pull to the left to break the slipstream and try to go by him Stroll just jinked to the left, and you can't do that. It was too late of a defensive maneuver, and Alonso went straight into the back of him, and he has he had the higher closing speed at that point, so that's why he just got sent off of Lance Stroll's car. Lance was spinning at a very high rate, and he was out pretty. It was it was he was for sure out of the race. He he got a pretty big shunt. Um, but yeah, completely Lance's fault. He did say there was room in the left, but it's irrelevant. It's it doesn't matter how much room there was. You you're the one making the dangerous maneuver. Yes, Alonso can pull over more to the left, but he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to at all. It was Lance 
who absolutely made the dangerous move, and I expect a grid penalty to be announced for him in Mexico um, because obviously he can't get penalized. He DNF'd. Anyway, fast-forwarding, I'm just going to talk about Alonso's race. He gets sent all the way back down to the bottom, of course, because he was the only one to pit under that safety car, and he was obviously a long pit stop having to repair all the damage. And this guy puts that, puts together an absolute masterclass without a wing mirror. He didn't have his, I think it was left side wing mirror. And he brings that Alpine back into P7 ahead of his teammate. I have no idea how he does this. However, a few hours after the race, we get news that Fernando Alonso was slapped with a post-race 30-second time penalty. And the reason it's 30 seconds, and you've never heard of this 30-second penalty during a race, is because it's actually a 10-second stop and go. However, if you don't serve a 10-second stop and go during the race, it is a 30-second post-race penalty. So that's where that came from. Unfortunately, that dropped him back down to P15, out of the points. A blow for Alpine, a blow for Alonso. But, you know, us spectators, us fans, we all saw what he did at Coda this past weekend. And boy, was it absolutely impressive. Um, By the way... He wasn't going to get that penalty had it not been for a protest from Haas. And I guess I'll give my thoughts on this really quick before I uh, dive back into the race. Um, Haas has had its issues with strictly Kevin Magnussen's car of that pesky black and orange flag. And I've given my thoughts on this, I think, way back when Kevin got called in in Canada. And I was saying I'd never heard of this flag. I'm a relatively new F1 fan of course, but still, I'd never heard of this black and orange flag. And I thought it was a bit silly. I'd never seen that in the previous years, and I wouldn't have liked it. Like, we literally saw Lewis Hamilton had a piece of his front wing flapping around in Saudi Arabia, but he didn't get called in. And I feel like it's... it's. I, f- I really do feel like the FAA don't want to... Um, uh, what's oh, I can't think of the word. Wow. They don't want to affect the outcome of like the podium positions of a race. That's why they wouldn't have done that in Saudi Arabia. And I even in qualifying, like when Joe got his lap time deleted, people were showing stuff of Verstappen doing the same thing. But and it felt like Joe was just getting picked on. Like they're not even looking at the top of the field because they don't want to delete times for them. I don't know. Maybe I'm opening up a can of worms there. But regardless, with the black and orange flag, Haas had had enough. It had happened three times to Magnuson and like one other time to like the rest of the grid combined this year. And then we get Perez in this race. He has his front uh, wing flapping around and it actually flew off and he was never called into the pits. I think the FAA actually had one chance to do it. They just didn't notice it. And then Alonso without his wing mirror, and apparently it was flapping around. They didn't force him to come into the pits either. So Haas is like, this is just a bunch of garbage. Why is this happening to us three times this season, yet it happens twice in this race and no one else gets penalized? So honestly, people can bitch about Haas all they want, taking the points away from Alonso, but I am absolutely with Haas here. I would be upset as well, and I think they have every right to make that protest and be kind of frustrated with the FIA. The only issue, and I think I I heard this on a podcast today, that it's not actually race control that learns a lesson here. it's, It's literally the teams that end up getting penalized by this protest. 
they don't benefit. Well, I guess they actually do because Magnuson did gain another two points. I guess that's also giving away Magnuson's points result. However, yeah, it's it's literally just penalizing Alpine and Alonso. It's not really doing anything else. But yes, I completely defend Haas's actions, and I think the protest was warranted because the black and orange flag is a little sus. Let's get back to the race now. Max again retains the lead after the safety car that was somehow not a red flag. I still don't understand that. Um, but I guess credit to like the marshals and everything because I feel like that was pretty quick for how much debris there was on the track. Um, but it appeared that after the pit stops, Hamilton's Mercedes was actually doing much better on the hards than Verstappen's Red Bull. Of course, the underlying pace of the cars kind of made it even. But in terms of which car was actually performing better on the tires, it was definitely Hamilton's Mercedes keeping himself in Max's pit window quite well, which if you're Mercedes, you have to be extremely happy about that. Um, and later on in the race, Lewis decides to go aggressive, uh, or sorry, Mercedes decides to go aggressive by pitting Lewis uh, to undercut Max. And not only does he actually pull off the undercut, Red Bull have a shocking pit stop in response to Lewis that allows Leclerc to overtake Max in the pits. It was an 11, 12 second pit stop. Um, and Max and Leclerc put on a brilliant show um, in kind of the middle part of the race, maybe a little bit closer to the end. But seeing Max get through Leclerc on the mediums, mind you, Lewis pitted again for hards. Leclerc and Verstappen go on the mediums. They actually took a big chunk out of Hamilton's lead right away on those um, softer uh, compounds. And as soon as Max dispatched Charles, which I was, as a Hamilton fan, hoping that Hamilton would pick up the win, really wanted that battle to last a bit longer. But that's the thing. As soon as Max gets ahead, Charles cannot fight back on any straight because that straight line speed of the Red Bull is just way, way too much to handle. Eventually, Charles, sitting in the dirty air of Max, loses his tires like the Ferrari always does, and he falls out of DRS range and basically out of contention of winning the race. Then it was clear it was all down to Max Verstappen chasing Lewis Hamilton ahead. Max did have the marginally quicker tire, but of course, the also just quicker car. And when Lewis's rear started falling off, the gap started to uh close yeah um much quicker than it was for a bit at the beginning it closed fast and then it seemed to close very very slowly for a while and it looked like it was maybe on for lewis but then yeah those hards fell off his rears specifically and max closed the gap right up as soon as he was in drs range it was over max was nine tenths behind on the straight when he caught up to lewis the closing speed was insane I was watching with my girlfriend and you know I'm cheering for Lewis and she's like oh is he gonna catch him and I'm like oh nine tenths this this one will be fine and yeah it's a long straight I, I know that but I was not expecting it to be literally the first time and people are saying that oh Lewis didn't defend it why would he I mean come on if Max is catching up nine tenths down the straight he might have not even been expecting it and also, if that's the closing speed that you're going to have, he was done next lap anyway, so who really cares? And then, again, another thing, all the bitching about Lewis. Oh, yeah, he's he's calling out where Max is exceeding track limits, and then he gets his own black and white flag. Has anyone ever thought 
that as soon as he sees his competitor who he's trying to catch exceed track limits or not even exceed, just abuse the track limits in certain way to, you know, gain time that he wouldn't do like then do the same to try to keep up. I mean, that's just like common sense, guys. Like if I saw my competitor maybe cutting a few corners, exceeding track limits, carrying speed on the outside, I'm going to be doing the same to try to keep up. I'm not just going to let him abuse track limits and get away with it. And then you yourself, you know, follow. And then as soon as also Max gets his black and white flag, Lewis is like, well, you know, I got a few strikes to spare. Why not? I just keep doing this to close the distance, see what I can do. And then as soon as I get my black and white flag, then I'll chill. So I think that all that all that stuff is ridiculous. All Lewis whines. Lewis Lewis fans say the same thing about Max. It is so stupid. F one Twitter, F one social media altogether. The Max and the Lewis things can get just so ridiculous. Why can't we just appreciate? Like yes, I cheer for Lewis. I don't go around hating on Max. Like it's just uh, it's stupid. Anyway, in the end. Max obviously goes on to win the race, and by five seconds, that's how that's how bad those rears started falling off of Lewis's Mercedes. So the final results were P1, Max Verstappen, shocker. Hamilton in P2, who drove a brilliant race and did all he could. P3 was Leclerc, who just could not hold on to his tires at all. Again, I know, another shocker. Perez quietly picks up a, a solid P4 uh, recovery drive. Leclerc did benefit from one of those safety cars. Russell was P5, probably where he should have been given where he got the penalty. Uh, P6 was Lando, who quietly, I think, drove one of the best races in Austin. He actually drove most of it with a damaged car, absolutely smashed Danny Ricardo, who finished next to last um, of the classified cars. And Alonso was P7 on the track, like I said, but he loses the result. So Seb Vettel, I can't believe I, I didn't even mention this. was one of the biggest points in the race. Seb Vettel led the race for two laps. I know. Crazy, right? With Verstappen and Hamilton in the mix for wins, Sebastian Vettel is leading the American Grand Prix at some point. That, that was an actual thing that happened. He stayed out really late on uh, on his mediums, and that two-stop that Mercedes and then Verstappen and Leclerc reacted to actually allowed Vettel, who was driving a brilliant race in the midfield, to hold a lead for a while. And I guess he was stuck on, I think it was like 3499 uh, race laps led in his career. So now he's actually got that 3500, so that was pretty cool. Unfortunately for Vettel, when he goes in for that second pit stop, oh, so painful. He has a really long pit stop that drops him out of the points. However, this man, driving like a man possessed, I think I think it was Crofty that said that. I, I don't really remember. Somebody said, he's driving like a man possessed. And boy, was he ever, because he absolutely mugged Magnussen for that P7 spot at the end of the race, literally the second to last corner. Um, so Magnuson did have to settle for P8. It was still a good result for him, but he's going to be a little upset letting Vettel by. What a move. That was honestly a spectacular way to end a spectacular race. P9 was Yuki Tsunoda. He scored his first point since, I believe, Barcelona. And in P10 was Esteban Ocon, who will take the point, but I bet you this isn't a weekend he will want to forget. He was 
nowhere in this race, to be honest. In the championship, Max extends his already championship-clinching lead, while Charles Leclerc goes back ahead of Sergio Perez in that battle for P2. George Russell remains, remains P4, while Carlos Sainz only leads Lewis Hamilton now in a battle for P5 by four points. It looked like Lewis Hamilton was all but locked to finish in P6 this year, but he could he could actually take a P5 here. Um, only four points, that, that's really nothing. Uh, that could be in one race. He already takes that lead. Um, Lando comfortably in that best of the rest, P7. Um, Ocon's one point was actually the only point scored from P8 to P10. Uh, so Fernando Alonso was robbed of his P7, of course, and Bottas squandered his chance to score for the first time since Canada. In the Constructors, Red Bull clinched the title to make them double world champions for the first time since 2013, while Ferrari will now look to hold P2 from Mercedes. The lead that the Scuderia have is now at 53 points. Sorry, Alpine kept their lead over McLaren for P4, although it is only six points now with three races to go. That is going to be a great fight to keep an eye on. Alfa Romeo stays P6, but it, it really does look all but certain now that Aston Martin will recover from their nightmare start to the season to finish P6. They're only one point back from Alfa now. Haas broke the tie with the other Alfa, Alfa Tauri. Um, Haas doubled their points this weekend. Not Sorry, not doubled their points. They doubled Alfa Tauri's points. I guess I should be clear on that. Um, four to two Haas, Haas over Alfa Tauri this weekend. So they have a two-point lead over them now for the for the P8 battle. And Williams goes pointless again down in P10, just shy of double digits for the season. I'm not sure if they were able to crack that double-digit uh, threshold. But at the end of the day, super far away from challenging for P9. So I, I'm sure they'll just want to see some progression and you know see off Nicholas Latifi in a good way. So now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. My prize, um, I, I kind of want to give a co-prize. Vettel was driver of the day, um, but him and Norris were both absolutely spectacular. You're probably thinking, what? No Verstappen? No Hamilton? I, I think if Hamilton won the race, he, he would have got my prize. However, he didn't, so I, can't, I don't think it's that big of a W. And for Verstappen, like... It's just another win. Yeah, he tied the record. That's pretty awesome. But I think it's expected now. Like, what is what is any team on the grid going to do to Verstappen and Red Bull at this point? But anyway, Vettel and Norris, I've kind of spoken a lot about these two already. But I just think they drove absolutely brilliant races. Vettel could have had easily his best result of the season, at least since Baku, had, had not been for that bad pit stop. And Norris doing what he did with his teammate way at the back of the at the grid, he was coming through at the end to finish that best of the rest spot that he has had a lot this season was extremely impressive. I saw the the left fender of uh, his his front left, and that looked horrible. And he still was was passing Alpines at the end of the race. That was an extremely impressive drive for him, but so quiet at the same time. So I just really wanted to give my shout out to Lando there. And the reason Alonso doesn't get a prize as well is because it's not just a driver of the day thing. I, I mentioned this before. It is a W of the weekend, and Fernando took quite a big L at the end of it. Um, the demise, two huge demises here. I think the bigger one has to go to Lance Stroll. I've already talked about Bottas, so I'll focus more on Stroll. I didn't make this point earlier when I was talking about him, 
when I was talking about him exercising those demons and qualifying, that is still true. That is absolutely great. I actually saw quite a few posts on social media talking about how Stroll has improved and impressed a lot of people coming into this race, and especially with that qualifying kind of topping it off. People were starting to really come around on Stroll. And then he does that, and it just goes right back to damaging his reputation. And I, I'm cheering for Stroll, but, man, that was just not a bright move. The Alpine, at the end of the day, is still a quicker car than you. You could have just let Alonso by, fight to live another day. Um, but he doesn't, and he, he does that dangerous move, and he's the one who's going to be at fall for it, and it might even cost him in the next race. So just, I... I it was nothing but a head shaker for me when I saw Stroll do that because I've been advocating for him all year, saying that I think he's actually pretty good. Um, but moments like these are just are just bad for him. So he he takes the biggest L of the weekend. He takes my demise. And my surprise, um, I was actually pretty surprised by the Lewis Hamilton tire management at the end. I'm not saying it was his tire management, but for the Mercedes, which I always thought the tire management was a strength of theirs because they have such bad warm-up into their tires, I didn't think Lewis Hamilton's hards would fall off a cliff. I didn't think the mediums were actually going to be the better tire. Yes, I'm not surprised that Red Bull was way quicker at the beginning of the stint, but the fact that at the end of the stint, Lewis ended up losing by five seconds, that really shocked me. And I saw Red Bull, uh, Max's tires at the end, and they looked very beat. And his pace seemed completely fine. So that was kind of strange. I just wonder if Lewis was just pushing pushing the absolute crap out of those tires. Because that really surprised me to see the hards be less durable than the mediums. They were basically the same tire life. So, yeah, that was a very strange thing that I was kind of surprised by at the end. But in the end, I don't think it would have mattered. The Red Bull pace is just so strong the straight line speed is ridiculous and max is an exceptional talent speaking of max and red bull let's talk about the championship quickly gonna give my thoughts on this and just basically a congratulations to red bull for an absolute season and an absolute monster of a car that they have built the, the Constructors W, of course, it was basically all but for sure, especially when Sainz was taken out. Ferrari had to outscore Red Bull by 19 points to keep it alive. Um, but it was locked up a long time ago. The second half of this season has been absolutely all Red Bull. They look so much better than Ferrari. Even when Ferrari looked, I, I was saying for a lot of races that I still think Ferrari had the better car. And, you know, Leclerc should have been ahead. But now it almost seems like saying that is ridiculous. It looked like no matter what, even if it weren't for those Ferrari mistakes early in the season, it looked like this was an inevitability that Max Verstappen would take this title and Red Bull would grab the constructors. So, yeah, what a car. What a pretty great driver pairing they have. They have the best driver in F1 with a talented and capable second driver who is never really going to be challenging Max Verstappen. It, it really is a great Hamilton-Bottas-esque pairing that I think will give them lots of success in the future. Um, and, and the fact that they it feels like they can win regardless of what's thrown at them is is insanely impressive. 
And yes, it's frustrating for us F1 fans. I know a friend of mine texted me after the racing, F1 sucks. All it is is Max Verstappen winning. And I, I, in my response to that, I have to say, you just you clearly haven't watched F1 for long enough because that's that's what it's been for quite a while. We had Vettel winning every race for a while, and we had Hamilton winning every race for a while. Yes, we had many battles when Hamilton and Vettel were going at it, Hamilton and Rosberg, Vettel and Alonso. However, there's also years like 2011, 2013, um, 2015, 2019, 2020, where they were just one driver dominating. Not quite like this. This is 13 wins, which is a record-breaking season. But just look at look at the cars on the grid. And yes, had it not been so ridiculous at the beginning of the season and Leclerc took a few more wins, he wouldn't be at 13. But this second half, it's... It's not. It's almost surprising Max hasn't won every single race in the second half of this season. So yeah, congratulations to Red Bull for their spectacular turnaround as well. You know, it's been since 2013 that they they've won. They've finally taken down Mercedes, and they were quite emotional when they finally grabbed that constructors' title. Obviously, on the weekend that Dietrich passed away. So yeah, congratulations to Red Bull. Honestly, really cool story. Um, they, they kind of made it for a boring season, but they don't care. They had, they had tons of fun because they won so many races. So yeah, what a team, what a car they've built. And to have that with the best driver on the grid just looks like an unstoppable force in the future. I see more championships coming their way. That's all I'll say. Uh, but the next thing on their agenda, or should I say the next stop, literally, because we're about to go to the two stop strategy uh, they got to get Checo a win in Mexico. All right, guys, quick Mexico preview. Uh, it was probably one of my least favorite races of the 2021 season, honestly. Of course, I'm a Lewis fan, and that fight was so, so close. And just to see Max absolutely drive away with it um, was pretty boring. It was one of the races that I actually like, I was doing other things while it was on in the background. I just could not stand to watch the, the things that were happening on the track. And I was just so angry at Bottas for blocking Hamilton because the Mercedes had the shock front row lockout and they could have worked together to keep Max behind, but Bottas didn't give a shit. And he just blocked Hamilton, let Max make that really nice move around the outside. But Bottas absolutely left the door open and then, of course, he gets spun out as well. And, yeah, after that, it was just a complete Red Bull and Max Masterclass with Checo even almost getting Lewis in the dying stages. If it weren't for Checo getting that P3 on the podium, seeing his dad after the race, I would have enjoyed pretty much nothing about that race. Um, but taking my bias out of it, I still don't really adore this track. Um, I think it's decent, and I think it warrants a spot on the calendar, no doubt. It's got great fans. Uh, the stadium section is super cool, although it is kind of an awkward piece of racetrack. And it's got a sick podium. Um, seeing clips of the, the driver sitting on their car getting raised up uh, through, the, through the ground is super cool. They definitely have one of the most unique, um, just awesome podiums. Um, however, I really don't think there's much to cheer for beyond the obvious good results from Vettel, a win for Hamilton or Russell, and then obviously a win for Checo. And we all know the latter would be absolutely the best, despite my Mercedes fandom. A win for Checo in Mexico 
is exactly what literally everyone in F1 wants to see because who hates Checo, guys? Come on. Everyone likes Checo a little bit. Um, and if you want to deny that, that's okay. We all know that you have a little little Mexican heart in you somewhere. Um, I, I'm going with, uh, for my predictions, I'm going with a Leclerc pole position. Um, I guess that's almost warrants me saying shocker as well because he has claimed quite a few of those this year. And Ferrari, even with the problems with their car, they're still mighty over one lap. So I just think that, yeah, Leclerc is going to be on pole. Verstappen's going to join him on the front row. Um, and I just think that Verstappen is, is clearly going to have the better race pace than the Ferrari. That's what we've seen for plenty of races now. He's going to be put in a good position to get ahead of Leclerc at some point. Checo is going to be in the mix. He's going to be super motivated for this weekend. And I just think that strategy-wise, Red Bull are going to be a little sly about it. And I think they're probably going to just put Verstappen on a little bit of a worse strategy to maybe give Checo track position. And then Verstappen's just going to hold position behind Checo, play rear gunner, and Checo's going to go on to win the race. I feel like Verstappen probably could fight for the win, but what's the point? The championships are sealed, and there's just no reason to, you know, pass Checo at his home race. And, yeah, so I, I think something along those lines might happen because I think Red Bull are going to be in complete control here. But joining the Red Bulls on the podium, I don't have Leclerc from pole position. I got Leclerc finishing fourth behind Lewis Hamilton again. Uh, Mexico's always been a weak point for Merck, but it's always because of the high altitude and the engine. But let's be honest, how can the engine get any worse than it already is? And, you know, the dragginess of the car. So unless the Mercedes engines literally have reliability issues... I think this will actually be a decent track for them. From what I understand, it is kind of a smooth circuit. Um, it's got the type of corners that the Mercedes um, fancies. So, yeah, I think the race pace of the Mercedes, like we just saw in Austin, will be pretty strong here. And I think that they can actually catch, uh, well, they as in Lewis can actually catch Leclerc in the dying stages of the race. And maybe we can see some Russell and Sainz battling for uh, fifth and sixth as well. I think that would be very possible. So my bold prediction was awful last week with Danny Rick making Q3 and scoring points. Um, yikes. Uh, um, but we're back on track with a Bottas points finish. Um, I was encouraged with the Alphas upgrade, like I said. And I think as long as he has reliability, which is a big if, um, he will be able to capitalize and finally get back in the points column, possibly even a P8 or a P9. I think he can pull off a pretty good result here and maybe make up for the horrible Mexican Grand Prix he had last year. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for the Domenico Schitarella episode of Break Bias. I feel like I'm saying that name different every single time I say it. Uh, I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 33 next week after the Mexican Grand Prix. Can Checo get on the top step? He'll certainly have to stop Max to do so. Goodbye.